So when Sonia and I first got a chance to study hormones in more depth, it seemed like such a huge mountain to climb. Like in naturopathic school, we got a little bit, we understood a little bit of how the hormones related to certain symptoms and things like that, but it really took a, a much deeper investigation to dive into the hormones and then reflect on how it is actually affecting us because we've tested our, our blood or our, our urine test. So we've got a chance to take a much deeper dive and we realize that the more we learn, the more simple it is for us, but we recognize it's also not so simple for, for everyone else. Yeah, I remember when we first started deeply studying it, it was after our oldest turned one, because that's when we got connected to Dr. Brown, yeah. and we're studying under him, and I started to then put the pieces together of this puzzle of hormones um, for women's health specifically, and that's really when I started um, focusing on women's health because I started to realize how important these hormones are in everything that we do. Yeah, and then, you know, digging deeper, actually took a patient to say like, why are you just giving me hormones? Like, aren't you a naturopathic doctor? Shouldn't you be looking at the whole picture and seeing how all these things come together? So as you focus in on a very particular area, it's really easy to see how you get so pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. And then and then you sort of, you need to relearn how all these things interact with one another. And this is why Sonia and I really dove into the relationship side of things and detoxification and cellular healing to understand that there's so many different inputs that require attention. And so as you know, we work on this podcast together to unpack the story of your hormones and the story of relationships and the story of cellular healing, um, hopefully we can um, help you uh, and bring you inside of our home and in our, in our thought process and how we put this together on, for a plan for, mm -hmm. for a patient. Yeah, and if you can learn one thing out of all that we are teaching is that hormones are not a cause, but they're an effect. And that took us time, I think, to really yeah. understand and how the nuance of that really works. So if that's the one thing that you realize from this conversation, you've already, you're already ahead of the game. Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. So I, I can't help but re reflect on a memory I had uh, with a patient that came in. And we were so focused on BHRT, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, really just wanting people to feel better. And listen, I've got the solution for you. You know, every problem that would come in, it was like, I know that your hormones are messed up. Let's put you on a hormone program and we'll get you feeling better real fast. And I mean, it worked mm -hmm. really, really well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And it took, a, but it took this patient to say, aren't you a naturopathic doctor? Don't you guys look at things holistically? And I felt so bad that I let this patient down that I didn't show up with my entire tool belt. And I really just wanted so badly for her to feel better. And I recognized that I was practicing green allopathy or mm -hmm. you know, this, this practice of medicine where you've got a problem, here's a solution. Here's a, a way to help you stop feeling the way that you are because hormones are powerful messengers. And so they have a, an incredible capacity to, to make changes in people's bodies. 
but it took this really uncomfortable experience. Who like I never saw this patient again, of course, because she was disappointed in in how I approached her healing. Uh, but man, was it a wake, a wake up call mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, yeah. You don't realize um, when you have that one tool, and it's working so well for a number of people. You forget that just because it worked for one, it doesn't mean it's going to work for another. And our whole foundation of our medicine and naturopathic medicine is understanding the uniqueness of each individual and all the different modalities we have and how they work together and the interplay between all of them that will help support them. But when we learned that tool and we started to see the results that people were getting and you know when somebody's coming to you saying that you saved a marriage then you want to you want everybody on this mm -hmm. medicine um, and have this tool in their tool belt so that they have that same impact in their life and I think because you had that experience it forced us to think about all the different various ways that hormones are impacted and it took us out of that you know, hormones being the cause of the problem, but instead they're the effect and really going deeper into what is the upstream cause that's causing these challenges. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't help but think that all I'm doing is as I'm looking at a panel of blood work, I'm seeing a list of symptoms and then here's the protocol to correct all of that. And to your point, it worked really well for, for most people. Even this particular individual, she actually commented that she's feeling better, but she's still disappointed in the approach, right? So um, did you have any experiences like that where, where you sort of had a patient sort of wake you up to more of your potential really is what happened? I, I felt like I had the opposite experience where I wanted them <laughs> to look at their diet and right. I wanted, so I started to feel that like I'm not doing them a service just by giving them this tool. Right. And when it really hit me was when women would hit plateaus mm. um, with the amount of hormone that they were doing and instead of wanting to do the work, they wanted just more. They wanted more of the estrogen, more of the progesterone because now all of a sudden sleep is not good anymore. Their moods are changing again. They're gaining weight again. So that is what made me pause and be like, wait, like this, this isn't the answer. There's still something else going on that needs to be addressed. Yeah, no, 100%. It's interesting that you say that too, because there was a part of me inside that really wanted to help them address more things. Mm -hmm. But I felt like we just, or me personally, maybe just streamlined the practice so much that I was literally just writing prescriptions. And, and I had to ask myself, like, what are you doing any different other than your, your, your knowledge on hormones as far exceeds that of what you would see at a GP, um, because again, they're general practitioners, not, they're not endocrinologists, they're not focused on a particular mm -hmm. area. Um, but I had to realize that there's so much more that I want for people, but, but I was just meeting them where they were to help them feel better. And there's this desire, I think, as physicians to really just want the best for your patients. You just want them to feel better, really. But you know, and this has been a huge inspiration from you to me too, is just, you're actually, you're so good at helping people recognize that there's work to be done and there's going to be, you know, difficult time ahead, rough, you know, when it comes to making changes in your health. And at the end of the day, you have to do the work because there's, there's, even with hormones, we are somewhat band-aiding an experience without actually asking enough questions of why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's challenging because we see the pain and suffering yeah. that people are experiencing in that moment. And if we can take that 
away just for a little bit. And sometimes what can happen is we can bring in that tool and they feel better. Now they're ready to do the work. Now yeah. they're ready to look at the emotional things. They're ready to look at what they're eating. They have the energy to actually do that. So if you start diving into like the bigger why right away, that isn't really conducive to our lifestyle, the busyness of our lives, and like what they can actually put into their healing. Mm -hmm. So I think that also can scare somebody away. So I think it's there's like a fine balance between all of it, knowing the person sitting in front of you, for one, mm -hmm. because some people are there to do the work now, and then some are there just to feel a little bit better, to get through that week, that month, that year. And then, then, you know, once they, if you keep planting the seeds, they start to understand that, okay, I can't just take these hormones and need to do something else too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a part of that awareness, I think, did come for me eventually when I recognized that, you know, just that when you do put people on hormones and they start feeling better, they often do start making better decisions, mm -hmm. or at least they're open to it because now they've got more energy and faculty. Um, to, to take action in their lives. So, you know, one of the things we want to do is to really help people identify an avatar or a connection to um, some of the hormonal imbalances that can show up so that we can slowly but surely over time help people to appreciate a little bit more about where we're coming from and, and how to understand these sort of hormonal archetypes. Yeah, because we've been talking a lot about like how they influence our relationships. Yeah. Um, but we haven't really talked about like their relationship with each other yeah. and how that is what is reflected then in our symptoms and how we're relating to one another and ourselves. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we're going to talk about the three core hormones, mm -hmm. estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And so why don't we start off with estrogen just mm -hmm. because um, that's the, the mother hormone. Yes, there's so many things to say about <laughs> estrogen. So, so labeled it um, the optimizer. Okay. And the reason why I say there's so many things to say is just because I think it's been villainized a little bit um, because a lot of the symptoms that women feel, especially in their reproductive years, um, there's this term called estrogen dominance out there. Mm -hmm. So what is estrogen? Estrogen is our hormone that rises in the first half of a woman's cycle, and it's the one that's going to basically tell your brain to release a hormone called LH, luteinizing hormone, so that you can ovulate, which is releasing the egg. So it's, it's all about like really getting the uterus ready and that lining ready so that it can shed later on when the estrogen drops. So you said so many important things here. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could slow it down a little bit and just what is ovulation, <laughs> right? Um, what is the luteal phase? What is the right. follicular phase? Like, maybe if, maybe it just needs to be repeated. Okay. But pretend like you're speaking to a man, okay. <laughs> which you are, and pretend I know yeah. nothing. I'm like, okay. what are you talking about, Sonia? Okay, so this let's look really... at a cycle. Okay. We have day one, which mm -hmm. is when a woman will start to bleed. So yeah. this is when her hormones are at their lowest, because yeah. now that they've come down, it signals her uterus to shed that lining that was created throughout the month. Which is a menstrual bleed. Yes. Okay. And then usually around day five, um, after they've completed that stage, um, estrogen starts to rise mm -hmm. in, their, in their body because now before that, okay, how much detail do you want? Because oh. I can go into like follicular stimulating no, hormone. Not too much, okay. but like, let's just, like, just what you're doing is fantastic. Okay, yeah. so estrogen begins to rise, yeah. and the reason for that is, one, um, at that stage, it's creating more lubrication in the body. So it's creating lubrication in the vaginal area. 
it's creating an opportunity for ovulation to happen, which is when we release an egg yeah. so that it can get fertilized. So everything that's happening in those days is optimizing the body to get pregnant yeah. and to attract um, a partner. So the pheromones are high, your testosterone starts to rise, which is our hormone for our libido, so our sex drive. So everything that's happening there is very like outwardly in a sense that... Um, the woman is trying to attract that partner so that she can create a baby, okay. whether you create one or not. Yeah, yeah, it's happening anyways. Now, some women have months where they're not really even ovulating, though, right? Is there? So now you're stepping to perimenopause. Okay, okay. So yeah. before we go there, Tell yourself. <laughs> before we go there, do you remember the movie "Look Who's Talking"? Uh, yes. Yeah, where they had like the, the little voice of the baby, like yeah. there's John Travolta uh -huh. or something, uh -huh. but they they had his voice like they were they were interpreting sperm climbing up the, the vaginal tract and then right. into the uterus. And he was like, look, all the guys are together and they're like trying to find this egg, mm -hmm. right? And then they're, you know, floating down the fallopian mm -hmm. tubes and whatnot. And somewhere along the way, that egg got released. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the egg was like, no, no, you don't. You're not getting mm -hmm. in here and you got to work for it. And eventually the, the sperm finds its way in and then that becomes John Travolta. Mm -hmm. Well, the voice of him, right. and the, and the baby. But, but that's what's happening that's because right. otherwise if that follicle didn't develop properly, mm -hmm. yeah. it wouldn't have been released from the ovary. Ovaries. Yeah, into the tube and it sits in the tube. That's where it waits. Right. So the sperm has to come in, go through the uterus. There's a bunch of different like... Um, it's basically like an obstacle course that it has to go through <laughs> do, do to finally. Push -ups and yeah, and there's like billions yeah. that come in, but only a few thousand make it into the tube, right. and then hundreds, and then you have just a few, and then the egg will release chemicals to attract the one that it wants. Basically, yeah. give it permission. That's fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. And I love how you said like the the, the, the female egg steadily sits there yeah. waiting Just, as the sperm fight amongst one another yeah. and race their way in. Isn't yeah. it amazing like that genetic information from that one sperm which was unique to mm -hmm. all the other ones that are there mm -hmm. somehow find this electrical chemical match with the mm -hmm. egg and magic happens. Yeah. So that's that's ovulation. That's ovulation. Yeah. And and like what is a woman feeling in ovulation because most women and maybe their partners know uh, what woman, what a woman sort of feels like. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that partners know what women feel like during menstruation, but we've all had an experience interpreting it from either side. But there's menstruation; it's pretty obvious, and stay away, that kind of thing. Um, and but what's the general feeling in that uh, menstruation mm -hmm. period? And then what's the general feeling of the woman when they're in that ovulation? Yeah, so in menstruation, because everything is low, like hormones are low, so it's a time of detoxification. Mm. So it's a very internal time where a lot of women are more reflective and kind of detoxifying a lot of their emotions too. So it's so variable. Some women feel more energy during that time, and then some women just want to hide and just heal and shed and do what needs to be done. So every woman's experience is going to be different because their bleed will be different. Mm -hmm. And then come ovulation, it's the same thing. And then what's different about a woman's bleed? Like sometimes maybe there's clotting or there's other things going on. Yeah. Because these are the symptoms that people would know, mm -hmm. right? So Yeah. Yeah. So some women will have heavier bleeds, meaning, yes, they might have like clots in them. They might have a lot of cramping, um, some insomnia, whereas other women might be a little bit lighter. Some women will have cycles from three to five days, whereas other women might bleed for seven to ten days really depending on, again, their hormone health and what's been 
feeding their hormones, like what information. Yeah, and so you brought the word what estrogen dominance before, right? Mm -hmm. And so what would estrogen dominance look like for in that first part of the cycle? So like the, the bleed, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. it'll look heavier. That's usually where the clots are. There might be some breast tenderness kind of leading up to it. Might be pain too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, some pain as well, yeah. Okay, cool. So that's, that's that first part. Now, what, what's a general feeling, emotional state of a woman during ovulation? So again, it varies. Some yeah. will feel, you know, more sexually driven, um, more energy, all of those things. Whereas other women, depending on their hormone health, will feel the opposite. And all of a sudden there's like a switch that goes off and another one that turns on of like maybe more irritability or there's, there's mid-cycle pain and really depending on the health of their hormones. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to really flesh this out is for partners to, when they're mm -hmm. listening to... They're like, oh, there's like, there's a lot of stuff going on for women. Yeah, so it's not just right? cookie cutter. Like, here's yeah, yeah. a 28 day cycle. You're supposed you're to behave this, like this. this. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be so different because of those other triggers yeah. outside of us. If we just looked at it from a textbook point of view, then we would, it would be more predictable. There'd yeah. be more certainty, but we can't because we all deal with stress differently. Our bodies are different. Our diets are different. Our environments are different. So our cycle will also respond to that. Okay. Amazing. So we talked about ovulation. This is the magic time if there's intimacy and sperm and egg meet and, and unify and multiply. And right. And another thing to understand, this is a woman that's not on birth control. Right. Oh, okay. Great. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want to talk about the luteal phase and then come back to yeah. that? Okay. So we're going to go into the luteal phase. It sounds like... Yeah. So if there was no fertilization and we're stepping into the luteal phase, this is where estrogen starts to go down mm -hmm. and progesterone should be coming up. So progesterone is more of, it's the nurturer, that's what we call it, because it actually wants your body to nurture itself in the sense that it wants you to slow down, it wants you to choose foods that will help support the growth of progesterone in the body, so like higher carbs. Um, higher protein too, maybe. Higher protein, exactly. And so it, it'll change the way you want to move and eat and all the various things that we do daily. So when progesterone is high, because it's the nurturer, it's actually um, also coined as like our anti-anxiety hormone. So it helps us feel calm and steady in the brain. It's anti-inflammatory. And everything that's happening in that luteal phase, the body doesn't yet know that it's not pregnant, but as soon as it does, that's when the progesterone and the estrogen drop and the lining starts to shed. And all of a sudden we're back in like day one and we're bleeding. But if Leading up to that, if we're in that estrogen dominant state, that progesterone isn't going to get an opportunity to mm. rise. So this is where women will feel maybe more anxious, uh, cry on a drop of a dime, drop of a dime, drop mm. of a dime, drop of a dime. Um, they will feel maybe more irritable, bloated. Yeah, as I um, say, like constipation is common with low progesterone, right? Like yep, sluggish digestion. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very sluggish. So yeah, so the bloating, um, water retention. The skin. Um, they might break out right before migraines, right before their period. Um, so there's all this stuff is happening because of that imbalance between their estrogen and their progesterone. So their relationship is being tampered with when our triggers are like influencing how they're basically operating with each other. Yeah. And then th these are where the symptoms come from. So let's talk about some of those triggers. Like, mm -hmm. cause would you say that the luteal phase is possibly the most important one to really make sure that 
you pay attention to. Like, say a woman is just really disconnected to her cycle, or, or and I know we will talk about birth control pill, but like, is that the time where you really want to like dig in and really support yourself a little bit more? Or I mean, well, it's like you know when we talk about sleep, what we start doing first thing in the morning will influence your sleep right. that night. What you start doing in the beginning of the month will yeah. influence that phase. Right. So the luteal phase is basically our information. It's telling us mm. the health of our hormones throughout the entire month. So that follicular phase, that beginning uh, from day one to ovulation, that's very changeable. So if you're traveling, if your um, diet changes, if there's different stressors and triggers, that can either lengthen or shorten, mm. whereas the luteal phase will always stay those two weeks. So whatever's influencing us in those first two weeks will then impact just the health of our last two weeks. Yeah. So I, I see this a lot with some of our people is, is they'll, um, they'll be eating a bunch of dairy. Like maybe just a little cheese and they've cut it down, but, but that definitely massively flares up their skin and uh, symptoms around that perimenopausal time. So, or no, sorry, so your, your premenstrual time mm -hmm. in that luteal phase. So like, what are some, you mentioned triggers, like what are some other things that can be really disruptive for, you know, and, and you mentioned some of the symptoms, so what are some of the, the things that are triggering the, a lot more experience of those symptoms mm -hmm. uh, in that phase? Yeah, so emotional stress, right? Just um, living in that rushing woman syndrome, just rushing you're gonna have from to break one that thing down. to break it down. I what's, am. The, what's the rushing woman syndrome? <laughs> it's when you're rushing from one thing to the next, and you're constantly running on this like survival state and mm -hmm. um, on low progesterone because it's getting converted into cortisol, which is your stress hormone. So if you're constantly there, when you turn up in your luteal phase, you don't have enough of that progesterone now to thrive in that phase because you've used it all up yeah. right, just through the rushing of life. And so stress is probably the number one thing that will influence it. Our diet, like you said, if we're eating things that we're sensitive to, specifically dairy, um, will Dairy also has a ton of like hormonal inputs too, right? Yeah, like so it's... if we're not eating organic, grass-fed, all the things, A2, um, these things will influence um, the hormone story in our body. If we're eating meats that are also injected with hormones, if we're eating a lot of soy products, um, also GMO, like GMO like, yeah. yeah, that will also influence um, just the level of estrogen in our body. And then if you really want to go into detail, like how our digestive system is working, that will influence if that level of estrogen that's coming from all of those influencers, like even pesticides, look like estrogen. If our body's not able to detox those out, that estrogen is constantly getting recirculated. Mm. And when it's getting recirculated into the system, again, that last half of our cycle is going to be more challenging because we're in this state of like stuckness. Yeah. And then we're going to have those symptoms, like the breast tenderness, like the clotting and all of that. Yeah, and then there's some extreme examples of uh, estrogen dominance too, right? So there's fibroids, endometriosis. Mm -hmm. Do you want to explain what those are? And I didn't know we were going to do all... I feel okay. like we're complicating okay. things. Okay. <laughs> just because those, those are... Okay, maybe just name them. Let's not get into it. We can save that for another podcast. Yeah. But just these are ex more extreme examples of things being messed up maybe for quite a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, if we're stuck in that cycle. Right. Yeah, for a longer period of time. Okay, so moving on. You brought up birth control pill. Is there anything you want to say about that in relation to this cycle? Right, so depending on the type of birth control you're on, uh, whether it's an IUD or if you're taking a pill or if you're doing the shot, each of them will have a different um, impact. Mm -hmm. But the main thing it's doing um, is stopping ovulation. 
especially with um, the pills that we're taking. So when you stop ovulation, you're actually not having a real bleed at the end of the month. It's more of like a letdown of this like some mining that's showing up and then all of a sudden there's no hormones and mm -hmm. you kind of have a little bit of a bleed at the end of the month. But you're not going through this cycle of like fluctuating hormones throughout the month. And again, depending on like what generation of birth, birth control you have, it will impact your brain in different ways. It'll impact your body in different ways. Some women um, tend to gain weight when they're on it. Some women, um, their libido will go down because the hormone is made from testosterone. Um, some women will have mood changes up and down. So with birth control, um, when a woman comes to me asking like, what's the best option for her, it's going to look different for each, each woman and like looking at the reason for the birth control. Are you using it to mask a symptom that's telling us some uh, level of your hormone health or are you actually using it for birth control? So those are things to consider. But knowing that when we are on birth control that it's depleting the body of many vitamins and minerals like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, it's creating dysbiosis so there's more yeast in the system too. So just knowing those things, we can do things to counteract some of those triggers. Yeah, and there, I mean, you mentioned, um, just, I mean, one other one I think that's important is just, you know, with the hormone changes that it's doing, it's also affecting pheromones. And, and you shared something somewhat recently just around what that means for partner selection. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, there's a great book called Your Brain on Hormones or Your Brain on Birth Control by Dr. Sarah Hill. And she goes through multiple studies in there where they had a group of women that were on birth control and another group that were not. And when you see a picture of your partner, um, so this was one study, when you see a picture of your partner, there's parts of your brain that will get activated. But they saw across the board women on the birth control, that part of the brain didn't get activated. They also saw that women on birth control will look for men that have more um, yin quality to them, more female quality to them, more softness, whereas women off of the birth control will look for more of that yang, um, outwardly more masculine qualities. That more like quote-unquote alpha male. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So because you're not on birth control pill, I guess that really... <laughs> yes, you, mu a, you must be that alpha. I must be very alpha right. for you to have uh, attracted me into your life uh -huh. and vice versa. Okay. Um, anything else that you think is really important around the estrogen progesterone? Well, I think, I mean, there's so much that we can talk about, but just knowing that, you know, estrogen is the optimizer. So it's the one that, um, it's the lubricator. It's like the juice of the body. It yeah. helps your skin. It helps your hair. Um, libido, it, right? Yeah. It also supports More the, the fantasy libido. side of things, right? This is what I understand. Okay. The testosterone is more like the action and, and um, creating more of that um, stimulus um, for, for like again, obviously men it would be erections, but women, I mean, the clitoral muscle also c contracts, right? There's, there's more of an action oriented to it. But what I understand is that estrogen is more about staying in the fantasy and thinking about it and mm. producing some of the, the sensory th uh, thoughts around intimacy. Okay, I didn't know that. Well, you're welcome. Okay, here we go. I'm not um, going to charge you for that. Okay. <laughs> um, so the other element of estrogen um, that people don't know about often is its impact on the brain. Right. So it supports your memory. It actually keeps like your hippocampus a certain size, which is the memory center 
in your brain and this is where we see women going into perimenopause, um, the hippocampus starts to shrink a little bit. Mm. And that's often when we have more challenges. Brain fog and... Yeah, yeah. and with the memory stuff. And it's the one that, um, it's like the fertilizer in the brain. Mm. So it's making uh, neuronal connections for us. It creates more flexibility in our arteries. It helps with bone as well. So you'll notice that women, as they age, they'll have maybe osteopenia or osteoporosis where they're losing that bone density and estrogen actually helps keep that bone density there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, again, it's just, it's an optimizer of all systems in your body. And progesterone is like purely there to nurture you and to help calm your nervous system, to help you sleep, to help you digest, to help you really stay in that parasympathetic state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you said the optimizer is estrogen. Yes. And then the progesterone is the nourisher? Nurture. Nurture. Yeah. Nurture. Okay. Yeah. But while you talk about it in relation to men now, well, I was going to say, do, do you want to complete it with testosterone? testosterone? Oh, sure. For women. Okay. Can, yeah. Do women have testosterone, yes, Sonia? Yes, we do. What? So we this need testosterone for sex drive, libido, uh, for motivation, just in our brain. It's the antidepressor. So when we don't have a lot of testosterone, you may wake up in the morning and feel just lack of motivation for life or that zest for life. Um, the other thing it does, it allows us to have lean muscle mass. Yeah. Um, so it's helping us work out and um, thrive in our physical state. And again, for brain, it's, it's helping with memory. It's helping with all those connections as well. Yeah, bone, muscle, all that. Mm-hmm. And then an extreme state would be, say, a gymnast. Like, why did gymnasts lose their menstrual cycle? Or like people who are mm-hmm. over-exercising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now it's that relationship with all the hormones. Yeah. It's your cortisol will be higher. Your testosterone will probably be higher as well, whereas your estrogen and progesterone go down. So now just the communication between your brain and your ovaries has been it's inefficient or has been diminished because of the input that your body's getting. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to what you originally said, which was that, remember guys, like hormones are not a cause, they're just an effect, meaning they're adapting to the stimulus. So if you're crushing three, four or five workouts a day, or for extended period of times, yeah, exactly. um, So that'd be the flip side, would be Mm -hmm. like anorexia, there's also, Mm -hmm. you know, a loss of Mm -hmm. menstruation, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just, straight up massive lack of nutrients so your body nutrients. needs nutrients to make these hormones specifically it needs cholesterol yeah so we need healthy fats we need vitamins and minerals to actually even produce the hormones and if you're not producing them you're not your body won't have a cycle mm-hmm. yeah beautiful okay so you want to talk about men um we're way less complicated you know because we don't have this lengthy monthly cycle we don't have ovulation all that stuff so i think partly maybe god or whoever you know was the part of the the design probably simplified things for us because <laughs> we can only hold so many thoughts in our head at one given time, right. right? And that's part of the beauty of testosterone. Here's my action, or here's my to-do, here's my action, I complete it, everything feels amazing. Um, obviously, we're, we're complicated creatures too, but... Um, so we have estrogen, we have progesterone, we have testosterone, we have all the same gamut of hormones that, that women have. Obviously, ours are in a different... Uh, orientation they're in a different you know total volume amount so estrogen for men is going to play a different role than it does for for women but it definitely plays a role on um uh, again i would say the fantasy side of things when it comes to libido but also is amazing for skin and brain health and all the same things uh cardiovascular health um it's just when that starts to really climb up 
as a result of our dietary influences. You mentioned all the different triggers, and that could be you know, too many uh, xenoestrogens or, or estrogens that are coming from outside sources, whether it's the pesticides in the food to the, the heavy metals to the plastics. plastics, you know, whether or not microwaving your, all your food is a good idea. <laughs> I mean, all these different things, the BPAs and things like that, that bioaccumulate in the body become a load on our system, just like they do for women. Um, but we see this with a lot of young men is they start, they could, they can develop gynecomastia, which is this enlarged breast tissue. So just like how it helps with, sorry, spat on you. Yes. Just like how it uh, allows for the, the female sexual characteristics to develop, it's going to happen the same way in men. And obviously if you're, you know, a young man, you know, in already the really uncomfortable years of going through teenage years and, and beyond, you're going to feel very self-conscious about a body that is bioaccumulating estrogen. Um, so that, that can be really counterproductive, obviously. Um, but there's always a sweet spot. I, I know a lot of ma our male patients who go on, say, testosterone therapy, and they use an estrogen blocker. They get it too low. It has a huge effect on their performance. Even just, like, again, you mentioned the brain, its effect on uh, thinking and thinking clearly and recovery and mood in general. And then if you swing too high, these men that, that are, again, often doing testosterone, they're not doing anything to um, not block estrogen, but just help to detoxify it out of their system. They get too high, they start getting really hot and their joints get swollen and sore. And so if it swings the other way, it's almost like there's too much mm. lubrication in the joints. There's too much, there's an excess of it. And that's also like developing the tissues in a way that is you know, not productive. So we, as men, obviously we don't necessarily have this monthly cycle, but we will have a cycle that will show up more often in the day. And here's like sort of the archetype of, of, of a man who's really testosterone deficient, <clears throat> is that they're probably not moving their body a whole lot. They're definitely eating, you know, way too often during the day. Uh, they're probably pretty sedentary. They're drinking alcohol. Um, maybe they're using marijuana or other things to go to sleep at night, which increases prolactin, which is going to shut down testosterone as well. Um, they're not feeling motivated, they're feeling stressed, you know, that, that could be like that quote-unquote midlife crisis, but it can happen in your, like your 20s and 30s too. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I think men are a little bit more action-oriented when it comes to like hormone therapy, because we have a lot of young men that are like, I need testosterone. <laughs> But, you know, we look at their lab work and their estrogen's high. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they feel like crap. They feel more moody and emotional and you know, swollen joints and those kind of things. And so they think that the only answer is testosterone. When obviously, we got to get to the reason why estrogen's going up so high. And then progesterone. Progesterone is definitely something that can be deficient in men. We see this a lot with men who aren't sleeping well. Um, their progesterone tends to be a little bit lower. And just like for women, progesterone is a precursor to cortisol, your stress hormone. So again... As you deplete those energy reserves and the adrenal system, and you're you know you're not sleeping well at night, and you're staying up too late, and you're not recovering well post exercise, you're not exercising, whatever the story is, you know progesterone is definitely going to come down. And then uh, and then testosterone. Testosterone is an interesting one because it has lots of volatility through the day, you know. And uh, men are really you know again when we said action oriented. They actually we should get little hits of testosterone when we're exercising just like women do but when we complete tasks it, it's really helpful for this surge in testosterone unfortunately it can also get pushed way too aggressively and this is like pornography i really feel like pornography is one of the worst things that men can ever expose themselves to because it says unnatural um 
well, it's natural, it's because it's happening, but it, it's an unrealistic high expression of dopamine and testosterone with a very quick crash. Mm. And, you know, often there's ejaculation involved with, with pornography and whatnot too. So it's like, it's kind of like this huge hit of sugar and then this massive crash. Whereas when we're exercising, when we're eating well, we're doing some fasting, we're getting those the right fats in. The cold in, showers. The cold showers. Strong to increase dopamine for longer periods of time. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so you're getting, it's kind of like just, you can think of, like, balance your blood sugar is much like, are you burning out your testosterone? Because if you can have a nice steady rise as a result of, you know, a great lifestyle, um, that has a profound effect on having this more sustainable level. So you're not, you're less likely to have these massive crashes. And I think this is where men can be, you know, the irritable male syndrome. If we're like constantly like in that start stop experience with testosterone or for someone who is, you know, viewing a ton of pornography, you're, you're less of yourself like after every experience because you're just, you're hitting, you're going below the, the floor. You're, you're, you're like, you're tunneling down way too far, which is a huge climb to come back up. And, uh, and yeah, so you, you mentioned the cold showers and things like that. There's a lot of, obviously, really important nutrients that we want to make sure we raise, uh, like vitamin D and the fats and, you know, healthy proteins and things like that that can have a, a really powerful effect on testosterone. Um, and so I'd say for, for men, too, you know, having healthy, sustainable, slow and steady rises in testosterone through your day so you're more likely to be able to show up for your partner, for yourself, for your family, um, because you're not just in this, you know, quick hit and crash experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why we want everyone to understand how each of these hormones work because it's not just impacting your physical health, but it's actually impacting your relationships yeah. and how you show up for work and how you show up for your partner or your kids or just your family and friends. And when we look at like the bigger picture of life and like what what brings us joy, like what is what brings us purpose every single day, if we can't even like access that because we're feeling sluggish in our brain or our body doesn't want to move or we're not getting those hormone hits that we should throughout the day, then it's hard to even make those decisions. It's hard to dream. It's hard to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where do we go from here? We, we talked a little bit about, well, a lot about a woman's cycle and, and its, you know, intricacies. We talked about it from a man's perspective. Um, is there any sort of archetype, like, people that you could sort of reference in, in someone who's, what's the optimal state? What does she look like? What does maybe a depleted state look like? Um, and I kind of gave a depleted state for a man, an optimal state for a man might be someone who's, you know, vital, has a desire for uh, exercise, strong libido, uh, recovers well post-exercise, you know, has, has, you know, a great mindset around, you know, discipline and, and supporting, you know, his family, but also himself and being very proactive um, instead of more reactive, which, which can happen when testosterone drops. Um, but I think like that, the epitome of that, and that, that's definitely something I, tr I try to mirror in my own life, but I find when I'm not aiming towards something, if I don't have some sort of like orientation of how to improve in a variety of different areas, I can get sloppy. And I think so men do really well when we have a direction, a place that we're moving towards and that we can keep, you know, almost touching and almost touching and almost and just you know furthering ourselves on a regular basis yeah i think for women in order to access the um, gold of each hormone it's just one first understanding um 
how to do that if we know the function of it. So if we know estrogen's the optimizer, we know what it needs, like what foods it requires, what kind of movement it requires, um, what we need to get rid of in our environment. So if, if a woman's able to access her estrogen, she's going to feel like she can get the job done. She's in that time of her cycle. She's going to feel like she can do a bit more, multitask just a little bit more, even though we shouldn't be multitasking. Mm. But there's a higher capacity to um, create as well and like have ideas and start projects and just be on her game a little bit more, just more energized. Um, and then when she's accessing her progesterone, she's able to take a break from that, those energizing actions and recognize when she needs to pause so that she can refuel, so that she can step back into action too. So mm -hmm. for women, I think like you were saying, there's some like a bit of complication because it's a dance every day. Um, our lives aren't meant to meet our menstrual cycles. So we have to constantly assess in that day of, okay, where am, where am I in my cycle? What does my body and what do my hormones actually need? And how can I bring some of that element into my everyday? So if you're in your luteal phase when your hormones are asking you to slow down and yet you have maybe an exam that you're studying for, maybe you have a project that's due that day, or you're dropping the kids off or taking them here, and there, like, there's so much going on. So it's learning how to access those moments of being still within that chaos so that you can feed that progesterone what it needs. So there's a bit of a dance mm -hmm. that has to happen. So I can't say there's like one archetype that that'll just, that's just what's gonna help support the hormones, but I think it's just being reflective of your own story, your own life, your own hormones, so that you can give them what they need. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, what I hear you saying is like, it's tuning in, like really yeah. listening, right? Yeah, just tuning in, reflecting, yeah. and knowing that every day might look a little bit different, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah, and I have to say like, you know, it's easy to get into that mindset for men too, like go, go, work, work hard, go jump higher, run faster, all that stuff too, but you know, the same would have to be said for men too. We need... We need to know what self-care looks like for us as well. We have to know, you know, maybe maybe today's not a hard gym day. Maybe it is a yoga day. Maybe it's a rest day. Maybe it's a walk in the in the woods with your beautiful partner. You know, whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be like this really aggressive thing. Mm -hmm. But I also think that men do need an aggressive like outlet. Now, defining aggressive could be, you know, a hit workout, a, a good run, something that allows you to feel like you be, you overcame something that challenged you. And I think that's mm -hmm. really, really important because I find that too, too many too many people in general, but definitely men in, in this day and age, are not faced with the same level of, of adversity. There's a lot more of a mental, emotional game these days than there is a physical one, which is why I love, you know, Spartan racing and all the other you know fun physical things that men can do but also feel like this is where sports are really important and mm -hmm. i can help to think about our boys and why really if i really think about it it's an opportunity to move through adversity in a safe environment that encourages growth and mm -hmm. you know companionship and um in a you know in a really fun environment mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's why we're we're doing these podcasts so the more everyone understands okay what's going to influence my hormones and how can I support them in that day? So like you were saying, I mean, if somebody is working in an office all day long yeah. with all like that mental burden and the emotional burden and all of that, like the solution to that maybe is going out for a run that evening mm -hmm. for men, yeah. right? That's gonna really support them. And for women, just knowing, okay, if I'm feeling so disconnected from my body, what can I do to support myself to land back in? Mm -hmm. And the more we just like, 
yeah, check in with ourselves, the easier that becomes. And if you know the things that are triggering in your life and know that, say, this trigger, okay, if I eat a lot of pesticides, if I'm not eating organic fruits yeah. and vegetables, then of course my libido is going to go down. I'm going to have some challenges. The gynecomastia might be because of that. So then you start to understand the different things that you need to do and the nuances of your hormones. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, another thing in connection, connection to that too is that I find personally, if I'm feeling lethargic or just kind of like maybe we just watch a movie with the kids, it's a, it's a weekend, and I'm just like, oh, I could just have a lazy day today. I know that if I just get beyond that thought and just go, you know what, let's go for a run as a family, let's get outside, let's, let's move, your body rewards you, mm-hmm. right? Because but I find it's too easy for most of us to just go, oh, I'm just going to give into that feeling of, it's just a lazy day, but we, we, as we said in the beginning, your, bo- your body's hormonal system is responding to the environment. And we say this to our boys all the time. The reason you're tired is because you just watched like an hour of TV. Mm-hmm. Of course you're tired. You need to move and that will wake you up. And so there's an adaptive change that happens as a result of an appropriate stimulus for that hormone. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. could do a whole episode yeah. on that relationship and how, um, how important it is. Again, it's just to self-reflect, but when yeah. we're stuck, it's really hard to pull ourselves out of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. High five. All right. Yeah, I hope it doesn't confuse you yeah. <laughs> more than, yeah, quick yeah. clarity for you. Yeah. More to come though, yes. of course. So as you can see, there's a ton of different conversations that can come up around the changes that happen to our hormonal system over time and just the way that our physical body feels, looks, adapts, responds to life's ongoing stressors. Yeah, so it's so important to self-reflect and understand and have support in understanding what is happening, how your hormones are changing and how your lifestyle needs to change accordingly. Yeah, so we want to invite you into our masterclass program called the Metabolic Upgrade. And this is where we're teaching people how to fast, how to get control of their metabolic function, what ha- what's a mitochondria, what does it mean to make more energy in your body, to have energy to heal. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially that insulin resistance piece that we spoke about and we really want to tap into that and understand like what is happening with my blood sugar levels and that weight gain around the abdominal area and all those things that we feel like we can't control. Yeah. So weight loss resistance doesn't have to be your reality. It doesn't have to be anyone's reality. When we start to really understand our hormonal system, what our body needs to do in order to metabolically become more flexible, this is a huge part of this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So join us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.